Welcome to Married to Movies. Industry insiders John Russell and Tracy Kring live and work happily in cinematrimony. They're sharing behind-the-scenes adventures of writing, producing, and appreciating films. Good morning, babe. Hey, good morning. What's happening? Nothing much. Just I, I've been sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've been sick. Yes. You don't know this, but we missed two days. We did. And it was it was upsetting to Tracy because Tracy I, was loving it. Well, you suggested uh, that I go it alone, and I was like, "No, <laughs> I'm I'm married. I'm married, and and That's I have a, I'm a couple. I'm a part of a couple. I'm not single to movies. M- married to films, single to films, singular film. No, it yeah, it really doesn't work. Plus, does anybody really like podcasts where it's just one person talking? I don't know. Well, I I don't listen to a podcast with a singular person, but I certainly listen to like TikToks of a singular person. Right, right. Well, that's true, but I think it's just it's just a different vibe because it's all about sort of that that connectivity. We discovered, I mean, we're way 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 behind on this, but the HBO uh podcast um the podcast that uh, Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes and um that other guy. Is it Will Arnett? Will Arnett, you nailed it. Very good. See, that's why you're here. I I get two of them, you get the other one. Smartless, and they were playing that on HBO, their tour, and it was really interesting. Well, hold on. I I love that something that's working. Oh, we need to silence our cell phones. Oh, at least I do. Well, yeah. Okay, hold on. And you're John, and I'm Tracy. Oh, hi. I'm John. And this is Married to Movies. Yes, exactly. So the thing I like about Smartless on HBO, it's like three guys. They were like, okay, well, we have a successful podcast. Let's push it and make it a tour. Right. And they're really learning on the tour what to and not to do for a crowd. Because a crowd has different needs than a podcast. Exactly. They start out with, well, let's just do the podcast. Oh, uh, they they got some advice from, I guess, somebody on their team where they were like, you know, it's just the podcast. It's the podcast live. That's what we're doing. Exactly. They're there to see you three guys. They're there to see you three guys. Boy, were they wrong. They, they, yeah. That that guy guy must have been some sort of idiot intern or something. He did not know what the hell he was talking about. Because (laughs) if the crowd did not like the guest... The crowd turns mm-hmm. very hard. The yeah. worm turns. Oh, yeah. And it ate Jason Bateman in the face. It was like tremors. I mean, he had on this physicist. Now, come on, guys. Who is the only physicist that you actually know? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yes, absolutely. Right. Well, it was not him. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you're already in trouble. Who knows this guy? Some rando dude who, you know, probably is solving all the world's problems, but we don't give a fuck. I mean, he's just some some guy. And you're here to see famous people. That's what you've paid your $45 for. Now but, you're seeing some rando dude. Well, and I really appreciate the editing. And I personally love editing on reality. And people are always like, how can you watch those reality shows? I love it because I'm seeing I'm seeing the editors work. Like, this is not scripted. So this is all manipulated by reality writers and mm-hmm. editors. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just recording a, an event like slow TV. And then they're... They're editing it to have this narrative. And you can watch what they're doing. 
So they kept cutting to the audience and finding audience members who were talking to each other, leaving, yes, shaking their head. They're creating the narrative, which is necessary for information later, where they got roasted for that show. Yeah, like on Twitter, people well, were just who like was completely... The, fir- the yeah. first guest was like Conan O'Brien. Basically, they did two shows. They did one show uh, early and then one show at 9 o'clock. And the earlier show... Was, was that, okay, let's just say, let's say it was Conan O'Brien, because he was one of the guests. And then the second guest was this this no-name physicist. The drunker show. Oh, man. It was rough. It was rough, rough, rough. And, you know, they didn't turn on each other, but they were like, okay, we're learning from this. Uh, We need to pick these guests based on what the audience want to see. Yeah, the audience oh, was. Wait, a, wait a minute, was it Will Ferrell? It was Will Ferrell. Oh my god! So you either get Will Ferrell, or you know, Doctor. There was nobody. There was somebody <laughs> after one of their their shows who who ran up to their vehicle and said, "I got AOC." Yeah, she was upset. Yeah, because it was like it was like uh, AOC, and I mean that's a great guest for me. But, like, if you don't share the same politics, that's not a great guest for you. Mm -hmm. And then Bradley Cooper crashed that particular show. Mm -hmm. Right. It's very interesting because the three guys imagined that they were the show and live. They're they're finding out a little different. You know what? The whole thing kind of reminds me of that. There's uh, the British show, The Trip. Mm Mm-hmm. Where they're always kind of like bickering with each other. Imagine it's like the trip, but at the end of it, there's a a show. I think it works really well and you really get sort of an insight into kind of who personally Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes are. And they talk about food a lot. They do. They do talk about food a lot. Almost as much as we talk about food. Will Arnett, very together, very family guy. Sean Hayes, very sweet, very quiet. But with, you know, bursts of energy and uh, hilarity. And Jason Bateman's out of his fucking mind. He's like a germaphobe. He he showers after he he poops. Uh, He's kind of crazy. Well, I don't understand why he doesn't just get a bidet. That's a good point. That's a good point. As owners of a bidet, why shower the whole body when you just need to shower one little part? That's true. One, li- or or in some cases, one big part. Oh, you never know. I was sold on the bidet when I heard Will Smith talk about it. Wow, you see, you say celebrity doesn't have power. All right, what did Will Smith say about the bidet? Well, I was already looking at bidet because I found out how many trees each person uses in, in just in toilet paper every year. Um, in my research, I found Will Smith talking about, like, if you pooped, would you, like, if you got poop on your hand, mm-hmm. right? Somebody's, your poop or somebody's poop. Mm-hmm. Would you feel okay with just, like, wiping it off? Mm-hmm. Or would you, like, want some, like, water or maybe some something? Right. A little bit more thorough? Right. Because you can just imagine it in all your little mm-hmm. hand cells or wherever you got I am eating, babe. Sorry. Uh, and he's like, no, you, you don't want to wash that shit off. Exactly. You want to wash that <laughs> shit and off. And I like immediately ordered on Amazon. And thank the Lord because 
all through the pandemic, when there was no toilet paper, we were fine. But let me tell you this, okay? There are two kinds of bidets. There's this one kind of bidet where basically you turn it on and you sit and it's kind of like a little fountain that comes up your Buddha hole. That's not the kind that you want. You want the wand. You got to have the wand. You want the full pressure power. Put the fire truck up. Yeah, right up there, babe. Just, whoa, hallelujah. That That's what you want. Because my brother has the little water fountain and no. You can turn it up. Yeah, but it's still, it it does not achieve, you know, full flow. Yeah, you definitely have like surface flow. Right. And then you have like semi-enema flow. Yes, exactly. That's what you like. You like to stick it in. Well, I didn't say that. Let's not start any rumors here. Okay. okay? So, All right. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you about something. What? And you didn't know that I was going to ask you about this. What? So this is uh, a, a, a bit of a surprise, which is always fun. You are re-editing right now uh, our film Wheelies Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not re-editing. I'm still editing. Right, like, right, right. Exactly. But you're, but you're going back through. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going back through. What is it that you discover about yourself on your initial edit? Is it almost like you are looking at that person who did the initial edit and having opinions about why she did what she did and uh, changing your mind about that on the new edit? The first edit is very much, you know, like the assembly. Right. Just kind of like the script on screen. Right. You, you know, you're really not making tons of judgments. But maybe the script shouldn't be on screen. You're going to have to decide, like, is this standing alone? You know, it's kind of, it exposes issues. The the rough cut for me. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> the assembly cut. The blo- all the blemishes are coming out. Well, the thing is, if you start over editing the assembly cut... Uh huh. You could really steer things like in a certain direction, and maybe that's not the direction they're going to end up wanting to go. Okay. But so the assembly cut, I'm really looking at every pass you take on the whole film. You know, you're you're like, okay, well, if you maybe you share the assembly cut with people, you know, like mm, right more than just the team necessary to see it, and just get their initial reactions. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, this actor's bad, mm-hmm. or wow, this you know. This person's skin doesn't look that good. Or, you know, whatever. This scene is too long. That montage went on for a really long time. Whatever. Right, right. So, and and you know my process is I have to get mad at something. Right. Um, and honestly, I think it took me a little longer to get mad at this film. Uh-huh. Because I enjoyed making it so much. And mm-hmm. I enjoy the people in it so much. It, it took me longer to get mad. Mm-hmm. So, then you're working on the next, you know, really the rough cut. What is the rough cut? And then, yeah, we're still getting some of the feedback. So I'm like, well, I'm obviously holding on to things I shouldn't be holding on to, you know. And then to enhance performances, like like when you get like, oh, well, I don't think this person is a very good actor. Maybe even compared to other people. Mm. <clears throat> I, I I start looking at, well, how many times do I have cutaways to that person? Right. You know, is am I endearing them to the audience? Right. Are then I go back and are there things they did better in other takes? Right. You know, and maybe that's the case. But sometimes maybe they say too much of the wrong thing. Right. Where it works on paper, but on screen, it's like an 
unnecessary aside that stops moving the story forward. Right, exactly. So you have to figure out who set up the actor. Even if the actor is not the best one on screen at the time. Writing this particular film it was uh, an interesting experience for me and then for us when we were, we were uh, editing it together because it's an ensemble film. And ensemble films are, you know, to me, where you have like five people or six people in a room at, a, at the same time. And you always are feeling like I've got to give everybody their moments you know it's it's almost like you got to give like a song yeah it's like equal time everybody's got to get equal time in every scene and that's not really the way it works all the time in life sometimes you could have 10 people in a room and two people dominate because they are the center of attention you know they are the ones that everybody is reacting to and when you try to have 10 people in a room and and all of a sudden it's a scene where two people are supposed to dominate and you're trying to balance it between the 10 people, you're messing up the scene. One of the things I love about uh, filmmaking is that I always feel like I'm on my left foot. I'm always having to figure it out, you know, because there's always something different. I'm always feeling like, okay, I got to figure this out. I think it was George Lucas who said something like, did you make a good film or what is a good film? It's like, did we make the best film? In the circumstances we had to make it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, I was I was about um, three quarters of the way through the fine cut that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I realized I really like this movie. Oh, yeah. I do, too. I really do. Usually that doesn't happen until like six months after I finish something where I can say, okay, well, I like that it's now. Full of, it's full of charm. Kill your darlings. That's what it is. Kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. Is such a di- it's such a difficult thing to do. One of my favorite films, Apocalypse Now. There's the this whole French plantation part to the movie, huge part to the movie. The whole backstory of basically everything that happened in you know Vietnam before America got Whoa. in there. I Whoa. mean, just a gigantic part of that movie, and he cut it. You know. Until he did the director's cut. And then, honestly, most people are like, yeah, you didn't need the French plantation part. But it's a freaking plantation. It's like, you know, dozens and dozens of actors. It's a huge thing that he cut out of that movie. He wasted a lot of money on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, he could have had another movie for what he wasted on that scene. Probably. Those scenes. Am I judging the editor that put together different cuts? No. No. I'm like, I know why I made those decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, get it roughed in. Right. You know, try to enhance the performance. But it wasn't until I found out, like, how long the film actually was from script to screen. Right. And then decided how long we wanted it to be. Right. You know, because it ended up around 93, 95 minutes. So she just had a different job than you'd do. The you that was then just had a different job. Than the you that is now. Yeah, just in my opinion, over over editing certain sections is is a problem most of the time because you may perfect a section mm-hmm. and it always stands out as as not part of the whole. Okay. You want to like really perfect the whole thing as you go, so that one thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. Well, I was watching Ink Master, a show that we love, by the mm-hmm. way. We love Ink Master. And it was and 
uh, there was this tattoo, and it was like of three women's faces. There was one in the middle, and then there were two on the sides. Uh-huh. And the comment that the gentleman had was that it looked like he had spent all of his time on the one in the middle, and then he ran out of time for the two on the sides. Yeah, it happens. That's what happens. Yeah. And no matter what you do, it's always obvious. Right. Because, like, there's two places in this film where I just kind of, like, probably over-edited. And people pointed out feeling different than the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So, am I going to elevate the rest of the film to match those? Or am I going to bring those down to match the rest of the film? It just depends on what that particular fil- cut needs. I think, for the most part, I've elevated where I overdid. Right. Overstylized. Right. Overstylized. Right. Yeah. I, I decided to bring everything up to meet that style. I love it. So, well, it's a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm excited for people to see the film. So I think it's going to be really cool. We're supposed to have a meeting uh, tomorrow with a uh, cinematographer because Tracy is going to be co-directing with mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. for the first time. What do you think about that? Even though even though you have been very much in my ear, you know, the whole time, it, it's always kind of come back to, well, you're the director, you know, right. in your mind, you know, whatever you want to do. Now, there are times when a scene isn't working and Uh-oh. you'll take me to the side Uh-oh. and you'll grit and your say, teeth, you'll look like, fix it. Fix it. That's like, that's like a classic Tracy. Fix it. <laughs> fix it. So now I'm going to have to say, we've got to fix it. Right. <laughs> we will have to fix it. We'll probably end up handling like the technical camera side shot side and then you will handle performances because actors freak me out the thing to me i i do not necessarily subscribe to this idea that a director is the one that should have the the basically the the entire vision for the film i feel like a cinematographer should work in concert with the director, well, I, that's that's the point. But yeah, I don't of, like the I don't like the idea. Basically, cameras in the cine- I don't like the idea of the cinematographer basically saying, "Okay, what do you want? What do you want me to shoot? What do you want me to do?" Well, I mean, if you're a good cinematographer, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it's called a director of photography. You should understand what the the goal is visually. I mean, and when the director, I want your creativity. I, there's a reason I brought you onto this film. You know, I want to see what you bring to the table. Sure, I've got ideas for shots in my head. Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch, the graphic t-shirt store to outfit you for your next film set. Be the person wearing the t-shirt everyone asks, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Cast and crew alike love these inside jokes and filmmaking inspired designs. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch. I was listening to uh, Michael Bean on a podcast, one one of our favorite actors. We love Michael Bean. And he was talking about Tombstone. He was uh, talking about when they fired the original director, George Cosmatos. Oh, yeah. Uh, came on. And he said that George Cosmatos treated everybody so incredibly badly that was uh, at his level or below him. But everybody that was above him, he kissed their ass. And because of that, uh, Michael Bean... One time, George Cosmatos tried to talk to him, and he said, fuck you, and then he never spoke to him again. I mean, literally, there are directors who never talk to actors. 
Well, it is a thing. It, it it's such a big title, director. Mm-hmm. It can mean so many different things to so many different people. Honestly, like it can it can mean manager. You know, I mean the director. Depending on what they want to do, they might be off with costuming whenever the director of photography needs them there talking about how to how to set up the blocking. I mean, but then the first AD may be running the blocking. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just depends on how many people are on set. You know, the director should be looking out for the performance, you know. But I don't think that happens very often. They're- so, and let's also talk about this. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's the way it is on a film set, too. Okay? If you have a director, and basically he is just like, I am going to take control of everything. This is my film. This is my vision. You know, I'm going to be a fucking auteur. He's going to corrupt the film. Um, just a, a brief aside here. That show, uh, Project Greenlight... Oh, God. I don't know if it's streaming. It's How probably... many nightmare directors no, have it, they had on that it's one? It's definitely streaming somewhere. Probably on, like, I don't remember who did it, HBO or Showtime. Oh, my Lord. But it's like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon giving yes. money to people so... to make a movie. And the last season of that. Oh, my God. The director made such a piece of shit movie. He did. And, boy, but I. The worst kind of movie. A comedy that's not funny. Oh, God, he just terrible film. And uh, the thing I liked about him, though, he just would not accept no for an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, he de- he decided he wanted to shoot it on film. It was going to only work if it was on film. Right. And everybody, every meeting, he would bring it up and everybody would say, no, we're not shooting enough film. But do you think that's a good thing, not taking no for an answer? No, I don't. No, I don't. It makes you a dick. But sometimes you have to be a dick. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to say, no, no, no. Right. No, 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 no. Now, and this was his, this was the hill he was going to die on, was shooting it on film. But he did get his way. Did it make them? Did it make or break the movie? Hell no! You should have shot it on the iPhone and spent like hardly any money on this film because it was gonna turn out a piece of trash. And at least if you had had no money, you might have had to use some creativity and fix it. Right. The soapbox. The only only film that they have ever made on that that was any good was this Battle of Shaker Heights. No, I wasn't. No, I was gonna say about. I was gonna say Feast. Oh, Gulliger. I would say that's might be their most successful. Gulliger was movie. like. Uh, almost autistic. I mean, he was such a strange cat. I wish I knew where he went. I thought he was so cool mm-hmm. as, as like a little film nerd. But like his dad was Clue Gulliger, right? Super, from super famous character 70s. actor. Yeah. And then his girlfriend was an actress, right? And like he, he was like, no, like I'm going to be directing this film and. I'm bringing my girlfriend. I'm bringing my daddy. Yeah. Like, we're we're working with the team that I know. It, it was a fun movie. It yeah. really was. Probably the definitely the most enjoyable movie of that series. That's true. But it, I, I just... But Battle know, of Shaker Heights had Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf in it. Really before <clears throat> Shia was really anybody. It, it, was, like it, it, it was right post, after his television stuff. Yeah, but like post-holes. It was right. like 
after holes. It was in his like high school teenage years. Right. So I don't know if any people out there have ever seen Project Greenlight, but it's an in-depth look at really how nobody knows the film is going wrong. <laughs> nobody knows how to make a film. It, it, to me, film is like the most evolved and difficult art form because... Like, if you wrote a novel, like, holy shit, you wrote, you started and finished a novel. Holy crap. Like, that's an, no, but now you have to do another thing. You know, it's 29 minutes in. Okay, cool. So you like, oh, you wrote a novel. You started it and finished it. Great. No, you're not done there. That would be considered a screenplay. Right. <laughs> now you got to do something with it. You sell it or option it out or whatever, or maybe decide to make it yourself. And then it's like, oh, now we have to make this whole movie, which is a huge product. Right. It's a huge product with like, you've got set design. I mean, you've got fine art. You've got like, so you got photography. There's so many different arts. Music. And then you end up in post-production and you're doing like VFX and composing and like, yeah, it's like every art you can imagine shoved into one product. Exactly. So to me, it's kind of like, it's a meteor. It's like... It's something that goes against the norm or, or human nature. And you'll feel that too whenever you're making a movie and you're, especially if you're outside and everything is fine and then all of a sudden there'll be a, a lawnmower that'll start up, and you know, airplane, you know and a, a mile and a half away. One time we were on a set and they were building like a sh- huge, huge shopping center, like miles, miles away from where we were at. Right. And it was like a... It and sound, it's very, very difficult to figure out where sound is coming from. Well, we're in a giant field surrounded by trees, sitting under a tree, and there's just jackhammering. And we're it's like... Boom! 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 Like, we can't get rid of that. And it won't stop. So, you're like, okay, I'm just gonna get in the car and leave you guys. If it goes quiet, start shooting again. <laughs> you're like if it goes quiet you know i've had them stop jackhammering and you have to knock out the scene ah, you co-directed that then well not really we had already been blocking it and shooting it everybody knew what was going right on. so um you do and uh, you you walk up to the jackhammer man yeah yeah i walked up to the i like drove around and i was like putting my head out the window and i was listening for where this like giant pounding jackhammer thing was was going, I found them and I said, "Hey guys, we're shooting a movie about you know a mile and a half away from here, and would you mind stopping for like maybe thirty minutes?" And uh, they said, "Yeah, we're it's pretty close to lunch. We can go ahead and do that." So they stopped, and by the time I got back, they had finished the scene. Yeah. <laughs> It was insane because yeah. like, it, it took you a while to get there. It yeah. took you a while to get back. You know, it was great. It was great. Um, but you you have to do that. And you often get sent out on those types of errands. Like, Oh, man. No, okay. we're not going to tell no, that story. No, we got to tell that story. It was so funny. <laughs> on Darcy, we were mainly shooting at this hotel. We were shooting and staying there. Right. And uh, this was like one of our excursions out where we had to find a road that was like a good sunset road. And we had kind of loosely scouted it. But, of course, we had no permission to be there. 
We took a skeleton crew, and we're just like having the characters walk down the. I road. think it's so. It was our second to last day of the shoot. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It was very close. So, so they're just like walking down this road with sunset behind them, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this guy is like mowing the lawn. Yeah, like he has one of those gigantic like riding lawnmowers. Uh, I'm just like, what? Where is that coming from? So all the way down the other end of the road, this guy's mowing. Right. So we're like, okay, John, you have to go down there and just get this guy to like leave the lawn mowing alone for like 20 minutes. Right. So I like walk up uh, and I, you know, ask him to stop. And um, most of the time people are very nice in this situation. Right. They're like, oh, wow, you're making a movie? Weird. Oh, wow. Hey, that's great. This particular guy was not having a good day. And he started to cuss me out and basically said, get yourself a real job. You know, (laughs) which is, I, I think, quite hilarious. He did not like you. No, he didn't like me. He didn't appreciate it. And he wasn't going to stop. Yeah, so so he's still mowing. You come back. You're like, uh, this is not happening. Yeah, this isn't happening. We're just going to have to work around. We're just going to have to work around this. And you then know. to spite us. Yes. To really screw us. Yes. He starts mowing down the driveway out in the dirt, of, like the dirt wash of the yard. Crossing the road. He all crosses the, way the road over. to make sure he gets in the shot and comes back over. Well, what he's unaware of is he has kicked up a cloud of sandy dust and pollen into the air. And now there are beams of light coming through this. And it's the most beautiful shot ever. It's like... 30 feet into the air. A this cloud. Huge cloud of dust. It would have taken like, we would have needed a gigantic hazer to accomplish. No, just an impossible shot. It all turns golden. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm just like, guys, let's shoot it now, 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 now. Because right. this is like, this is the most beautiful shot in your film. Right. Right now. Right. This is it. Exactly. Thank God that he didn't stop mowing. And, right. And, you know, I, th- I think eventually he did stop mowing. And, and then we just reshot the scene where we got them on the close. Ups, yeah, where with we, good sound. Right, with good sound where we didn't need the uh, wide shot with the giant, you know, golden plume of uh, smoke coming up. I mean, it, you know, it, w- it was fantastic. And, you know, in his attempt to mess up our film, he actually made the film so much better. Yeah, gave us the best shot. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But that same that same road, we were shooting on, on the uh, adjacent road. And there was just, come to find out, like, it was... Quitting time. Quitting time in town. And everybody was going home down this back road. I mean, it's just like, this is a completely empty road. Yeah, we scout it. It's completely empty. Yeah. And now there's like, yeah. I don't know, it's like 20 uh, cars, cars a minute. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. I mean, you are not going to control the world. No, no. And we're not going to call anybody to control it. So basically, we're like, uh, John, okay, you're going to have to go up there and stop cars. We send John out because he's very likable to people very likable instantly you're very direct but you're like very likable instantly so he goes up around the bend and is stopping cars so there's no more cars coming we're hurrying up and shooting right we're shooting 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 it was a steady cam shot they had to walk all the way down here reset walk all the way down here reset we're just in a loop and then uh we're like uh we call you and we're like hey you know we're done so you come back down and you have a beer in your hand i have a beer one of them gave me a beer 
while we were waiting. They were just yeah. John just created a block party. It's so it's so funny because uh, I, I co-directed that film uh, with uh, uh, another uh, director, and you know she and you know I, I I walk up over the hill and I've got the beer and everybody is like oh look at it. everybody's cheering and they're just like uh, it, it, it was a legendary moment and uh, uh, it was it was very funny it was very funny the way it the way it ended up working out. Uh, uh, what was the call uh, with that uh, that guy that uh, oh, guy yeah, from the, yeah, yeah, guy got... from the college? I had uh, answered a uh, Facebook uh, ad in one of the film forum things, mm-hmm. and he uh, basically was saying, "Hey, um, I would like to start a, a screening, like what, a film series, yeah, like a film series, you know, where you can, you know, come and you can show your films, and you know, then we so, can." So, well, you're talking to him. We won't be specific about this, but you're talking to him, and uh, you get off the phone, come talk to me, and you're like, "Well." So the guy says, if we bring one of our films and we bring a crowd, he'll screen our film. And I was like, uh, excuse me? Yeah. So I'm bringing my film. I'm bringing my crowd. You're supplying nothing. Right, right. And then you're getting the ticket sales? Like, in what world do you think I'm this big a dummy? Well, yeah. And I don't know necessarily even if there would be ticket sales. He was just a, you know, he was just a kid that wanted to do something. And l- let me just then tell just you. just leave the theater unlocked at night then. Look, there were just people out there who... <laughs> you know are they're inexperienced and but but they have enthusiasm they want to do something the thing is they don't necessarily know they don't know how to do it and sometimes they don't even know what they want to do but they want to do something and i've learned to not you know squash out any embers that might catch fire if somebody has enough enthusiasm to put a facebook ad out and they and i've gone ahead and called them you know i don't want to be the guy that just like well that's stupid you're stupid for doing that that's yeah, not the way I, things I happen agree. i agree but i think i think my advice would be you need to have a crowd exactly which is what i told him which is what i told him i said look if you can organize if you can organize your the crowd you know i would love to bring in a couple of short films because this kind of thing you probably wouldn't want to show a feature because you know everybody's sitting there for like you know an hour and a half or two hours and then you're going to go ahead and do like a Q&A afterwards and that's yeah that, that's too long but if you showed like a couple of shorts did one talked did another and talked, you know, that would be fun. That would be fun. And maybe somebody would get something out of that. I see by your face that no, do not feel that that would be fun. No. (laughs) I mean, I I guess if the filmmakers are there, uh, I guess I just feel like if you're going to try to start a film series, you know, or like you need to have, it's just like starting a product. Like if you don't have a product that speaks to a specific market and you don't understand that market, like why are you making this product? Well, okay. Sometimes, you know, the the idea of a product can lead to a product. So no, this film's, you know, uh, what we're talking about doing may not be, end up being what this film series starts out being at all. It, but if we, well, look, you know, what he and I were talking about, yeah. okay? This amorphous thing. But you have to start with something that doesn't have form for it ever to, you know, completely have form. Yeah, yeah I guess. Prototype. It's like a, it's like a assembly cut. Mm-hmm. You have to start with something. Yeah, exactly. And I think I would rather do something that's kind of like half-assed than... Uh, try to basically put together, okay, let's make sure, you know, uh, all this and let's make, you know, yeah. because, you know, in, in my opinion, most of, what, what what are you looking at? Oh, is there something on the table? 
Okay, yeah, wipe it out. I don't know what it was. I think it. I think it was some sour cream or cottage cheese or something. It's so I know. I'm sorry. Oh well, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, you were the one talking about grosser stuff early. So you know, you got attitude today. You got attitude. <laughs> you got attitude too. Do I? Well, you know, I I think that um uh, I'm I'm not a hundred percent so because I'm sick. So oh, your your being sick makes you sorry. A little bit. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does a little bit. Really? Maybe. (laughs) It's hard not to get romantic about movies. Thanks for listening to Married to Movies. John and Tracy will meet you for breakfast tomorrow. Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch. Comfortable graphic tees made by and for awesome filmmakers to wear on set and off. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch. (laughs) 